What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Not a whole lot. Some personal stuff going on, but uh, I'll, I'll keep that off the pod. But I'm ready to talk 49ers and get a break from it. So, Well, you just put it on the pod. <laughs> That's the opposite of keeping it off the pod. You should have just faked it. I don't lie. Well... That's good, and I think that's appreciated, by the way. I hope everything's all right, but we don't have to get into that. We always try and be authentic and honest on this show. I've said it a million times. If you are new and you don't know what you're going to get, you're going to get the hot takes that usually come from me, and you're going to get the cold truth that usually comes from Levin. If you haven't done it already, please subscribe, follow, rate, review the Niners Nation Podcast Network. It really helps us get discovered. We always say if you drop a review, we will read it on the pod. Well, this one comes from bcook122. Five-star rating. Thank you very much. Quote, this is the most on-target and thought-provoking podcast on football or any other sport. The hosts, Rob Guerrera and Levin Black, have clearly done their homework each week. Both of them do not sugarcoat their observations and generally back it up with stats, history, and team tendencies. Too many other sports podcasts are frankly snoozers because they're driven with emotional efforts not to piss anyone off. That is definitely not us. The gold standard is hard-hitting conversations that I look forward to each week. The renamed morning show gives you a quick five-minute heads up about the Niners. Good job, Rob. B. Cook 122, we thank you very much. Does this person really exist? I, I, I didn't write it. I know that. I don't think my wife wrote it. <laughs> I was going to say, you sent me this uh, review a couple days ago, and my response was, that, uh, thank your wife for leaving us a review or something like that. We really do appreciate it. Ty Meredith gave us a five-star review. I'm really starting to like this podcast. Keep up the good work, guys. I'm glad that we're we're doing stuff you like. I've been saying it. We are crushing it right now. Biggest month Niners Nation has ever had, or second biggest, I should say. Second only to the Super Bowl in 2019 last month. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I promise you we are going to keep it up. On the agenda for today's show, we want to talk a little bit about what happened in Green Bay, but it's Thursday now, so we want to spin it forward because it's Seattle week now. We're almost at Seattle week. Like, So what happened on Sunday night? Will it be a concern in this game against Seattle and going forward is generally the lens we're going to look at stuff through. And I want to start uh, with a general point about the offense, if I could, Levin, because, I mean, you've seen it. We've all talked about it. It's just been really hard this season. Offense has been a struggle. Outside of the first half against Detroit, the 49ers have not moved the ball like they have in the past. In their last two first quarters, they have 39 total yards and one first down. We are not used to struggling like this on offense, and I think there's a pretty specific reason. Some of it has to do with the 49ers themselves, but the larger point is, you know, Shanahan's been here since 2017. Sean McVay has been in, in the league for multiple years with the Rams. LaFleur in Green Bay has been there for multiple years. This Shanahan offense has been very prevalent in the league for a long time now. So there is more information and film out there on it than there ever has been. And I'm not saying that, that it's figured out, but the league has now begun to implement their strategies for slowing it down. And we saw it in the Packers Sunday night when they placed basically two big dudes on the edge and took out the Niners' outside running game. Yeah, you got a point there. Um, I kind of find it ironic because what was the M.O. of this offense when you know Shanahan first got here? It was that you can't stop the run. It's so unstoppable if you get you know offensive linemen who are uh, athletic and can run to the edges and get out in front of the running backs. 
But look at all the teams running this system. All of them have bad run games now. It's almost like teams have figured out the run part of it, and the pass game still works if you have a good quarterback. Still works for Aaron Rodgers. It's working for Matt Stafford right now. Not working for the 49ers. I wonder what the difference is. I think there's two differences. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo is is one. He's clearly not up to their level. But I think that with the Raheem Mostert factor, there he had something that teams couldn't do anything with, and that is that he was fast as hell. He was just get out to the edge so fast, even if you had schemed it up and prepared to stop it, like the dude is a track star. And so he just got out there faster than you. And as long as this game is played by humans, if one is faster than the other and he's carrying the ball, the defense is in trouble. It's like you said, you know, the, the Packers were putting uh, a couple guys on the edges to stop from the outs- stop the running back from getting to the outside. With Mostert, he is so fast, like literally only Tyreek Hill has an argument to be faster. This is a guy that was a Big Ten champ in track in uh, college. So he is so fast that those guys on the outside who are normally linebackers aren't fast enough. He can outrun them. Even though that they get a couple head start and they're getting to come downhill, he can outrun them. And he, he's almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card for the offensive line. And I that's the main part I wanted to get to in terms of the offensive struggles. Because the All-22 film finally came out. There is a lot of bugs. But I did get to review part of it before we got on. I got to review the running back runs. You know, I went in and looked at the running back runs using the end zone angle where you can truly see the offensive line. And uh, the running backs aren't the problem. It is the offensive line. And at least in this game, it was largely Alex Mack. He had a terrible game. He was whiffing on blocks, like flat out whiffing where he didn't even affect the person. He was really slow getting out after hiking the ball. And that was big. And when he was trying to run to the get to the edges on a couple of the outside runs, uh, whether it be an end around to Debo. Uh, I did watch those end arounds to, with the wide receivers as well as the running backs. He, he wasn't getting there in time. He, he looked very slow, looked his age, bad game. You know, he might be able to recover. He did have the block where he got out for Trey Lance on the touchdown. Yes. So he has capability. It was just a bad game. And, you know, you have the, the uh, fourth down that, uh, you ranted about on the instant reacts <laughs> oh, God. and Shanahan flat said the center hiked the ball early. And that was the problem because he heard the defense calling for the hike. Like, come on, man. Yeah. That you was hiked not it because good. the defense called for it. So that's on Alex Mack too. Like there was just a lot of plays here where Alex Mack was allowing somebody to come straight through and blow up the run play before it ever had a chance to go. And we know without the run game, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to get it done. It started early, too, with Mac. I think it was the first run of the game or, like, the first touch that Sermon had. It wasn't the first run. It was the first touch that Sermon had. He got blown up immediately, and he started complaining to the official that the guy was offsides. No, he wasn't. It just He just owned you on that play, Alex. Um, and the center is hugely important, and I think Mac has done a good job in the first couple of weeks, especially helping with some of the protections and some of the kind of – stuff from the neck up that a veteran, a guy that's played in the league as long as he had would be good at. He's done a great job of that. He got beat. You know, guys have bad games, and that's kind of a theme that I'm going to touch on as we talk about this Packers game. Guys have bad games, or sometimes you have a good game and somebody else just has a better one. Like, those, all of those things can be true, and and I know that, that sometimes I fall into this habit of, you know, pointing fingers and blaming people and criticizing people. 
and I fall into this habit of assuming that every player executes perfectly on every play, so the problem then must be coaching, like D'Amico Ryans. I think I was pretty critical of D'Amico Ryans after the game on Sunday, and now after having watched it and after listening to what other people have said, I think the blame lies more with the players. I think I was wrong on that. Sometimes you're in the right play call and the players just don't do it properly. And I think that's what happened more often than not on Sunday against the Packers. Well, I mean, you have an MVP quarterback and the best wide receiver in football. It's hard to stop that even if you get the right play call. The players are of the caliber that they can beat the right play call. And that final drive, it certainly seemed like that's what they did. I mean, Aaron Rodgers made incredible throws on that final drive. But I did want to make one point uh, before we completely get away from Alex Mack. You know, you talked about how he was saying that he felt like his opponent was uh, getting off early, getting off sides, and it wasn't called. I have a couple of things about that. One, I wonder if they knew the snaps. Like, if they figured out something in film review and knew when the snap was coming, because they did react. I I didn't see many offsides. when I rewatched the broadcast angle where you can see offsides real easy, but they were seeming to go right at the same time as the snap, as if they knew when the snap was coming. So I wonder if they need to change something up there. Um, But the other part of it that Green Bay did that I think caused some issues was they were doing a lot of shifting on the D line right before the snap, which again tells you they might've known when the snap was coming because literally they would be, they would do their shift and the hike would come immediately as they were finishing their shift. So it's almost like they knew when the snap was coming. And what that did was sometimes I was shifting who needed to block who, and then there would be a miscommunication. And I think it was a lot of good game planning by Green Bay and a lot of really bad execution by the 49ers. And like I said, they might want to change up how they're doing their snap counts because it seemed like Green Bay knew it. That's an interesting point, too, because if they did have an idea of when the snap was supposed to come, that would be an advantage if the player is trying Massive. to trigger Alex Mack into snapping the ball early, which, like you said, happened on that third down. Since you brought that play up, um, we've seen this season that Kyle Shanahan is full of it and lies to people. And <laughs> the Brandon Ayuk thing is crystal clear now because yeah, Trent yeah. Sherfield was supposed to be two. so good that he was starting over Ayuk and he had two snaps this week. So clearly you cannot listen to what Kyle said. Right. And on that, I wanted to say the real damning part of that. It's not just that Sherfield only had two snaps. It's that Muhammad Sanu got snaps over him. Right. So Sherfield went from being starting quality and earning the starting job in week one. Like Shanahan said, those are Shanahan's words to being the fourth guy in the depth chart. All of a sudden, two weeks later, like, no, The guy was never the number one receiver, and you were doing something to punish Ayuk for some reason that we don't know because nobody would freaking ask him. And by the way, it seems to have worked because Ayuk is blocking very well with a lot of effort, and he's playing well, so maybe that worked with Shanahan, but he clearly did something to him. Now, on that fourth down play, Kyle's explanation was insane. He said after the game, well, I thought that Sermon lost some yardage there, And so I didn't go for it. Now, first of all, that's ridiculous because you're the head coach and the play caller. Like, learn where the hell the line of scrimmage is. Well, I mean, they they have these little sticks that uh, people (laughs) hold up to make it crystal clear (laughs) where it is. But if you go back and look at it, he's right there. He's down the line of scrimmage right where the ball is. There's no way he thought they lost yardage because he's staring directly at it. And even if you lost yardage, Kyle... 
go for it anyway. So it's fourth and two instead of fourth and one. What I think happened is he's still scared to go for it on fourth down, but he saw how effective the quarterback sneak was in, against the Eagles when they converted four of them that in his mind, I think he was like, if it's fourth and one, we'll sneak it. If it's fourth and beyond that, I'm too scared. I don't trust anybody. I'm going to punt it. That's what I think happened. Well, the point I made, because, you know, David Labardi uh, was the one that kind of tweeted out that Kyle Shanahan's excuse, and he just took it like, oh, Kyle Shanahan didn't realize it was fourth and one, you know, so that explains it, you know, Mr. Labardi being sugarcoating it there. I responded, and he never responded to me. Ask him why he didn't take a timeout then, because Kyle Shanahan's explanation was once he realized it was fourth and one, he already had the punt team out there. Okay, so that tells me that you realized it was still fourth and one before the snap happened before the punt actually happened. The Niners had three timeouts. There was only like four and a half minutes left in the half. Why not use one of those timeouts and go for it on fourth down? The fact is, Shanahan didn't want to go for it. Yeah, and it's it's costing the 49ers. It was a graphic that came out that so far in 2021, his fourth down decisions have cost the 49ers more than any other team in the entire league. And anyone that's listened to this show for any amount of time knows that I have been screaming about this for years with Kyle Shanahan. He just does not get it. And these games are going to be close, Levin. Every possession matters. And when you are taking them away from your team, that's a killer. Like, that's going to cost the 49ers. And we saw it. This game literally came down to the final seconds. I sure as hell would have liked to know what would have happened on the rest of that possession because the 49ers were moving the ball pretty good on that drive. It, it's really odd to me because it's out of character for Shanahan. Because in everything else, he shows massive ego, massive confidence. I can do anything. I am the world's best play caller. But then you get to a fourth and short, and he goes, oh, hold on, I'm not trusting my offense here. I'm not going to trust myself to get the right play call. I'm going to punt it and trust my defense to get a stop. Like, that's really odd for an offensive coach to say, I'm going to trust the defense to get a stop rather than him saying, I have confidence we can get a yard or two. So that is frustrating. It continues to be confusing. And to me, it's another situation where the reality does not line up with what Kyle Shanahan is saying in press conferences. And it drives us crazy on this show that he is not called to the carpet on this stuff. And another thing I wish he would be called to the carpet on is the situation with the draft class. I wrote about this on NinersNation.com earlier in the year, and everybody screamed at me because they said it was too early to bring it up. Well, here we are going into week four now, and the facts are the facts. The 49ers have not gotten anything out of the first three rounds of this past NFL draft, right? Like Daniel Brunskill has been a problem at guard. Well, you drafted a guard in the second round in Aaron Banks. You chose him over other players like Asante Samuel Jr., who this team could really use right now. But that would be okay if Banks was on the field producing. But he has been inactive, healthy, for every single game this season. You have a pressing need at cornerback to the point where you've signed Josh Norman, Dre Kirkpatrick, and now this week Buster Screen. You're desperate for cornerbacks. You drafted a cornerback in the third round in Ambry Thomas, who only played in week one because a bunch of guys got hurt and then has been a healthy scratch for the next two weeks. You've had injuries at running back. You traded up in the third round to draft a running back who would not have seen the field if not for those injuries and, and saw the field in very limited snaps last week. So 
you are voluntarily choosing not to use your draft picks, which leads me to conclude one of two things, Levin. And you tell me if there's another option on the board that I'm not seeing. Number one, Kyle Shanahan does not trust rookies. Or number two, he would love to play these rookies, but they're so hideously bad that they're not good enough to be on the field. It has to me to be one of those two things. I don't know what the other options are. It's the second one because he's trusted rookies plenty in his tenure here. You know, Debo was featured as a rookie. Ayuk was featured as a rookie. He features rookies. You know, he goes out and gets these scrap peep running backs and then will trust them when injuries have forced them to play, but he'll trust them. He'll go to them, except for oddly the most recent game where he just refused to run the ball. Um, which, like I said, has more to do with maybe the blocking, and he knows there's issues there, so he was passing. But I think it has to be the latter, that they're just bad. This is a looking like a really, really, really bad draft class. You know, if Trey Lance works out, people will kind of forget about it. If Trey Lance doesn't work out, this might be right up there with the worst draft classes in Niners history because Lenore is about the only one that's done anything to this point. That is a scary thought. Like... You drafted a guard in the second round who can't beat out Daniel Brunskill? Like, that's really bad. That's hideously bad. If you're drafting a guard in the top two rounds, the guy better be starting caliber right away. Yes, plug and play. That's With any second-round pick, really, like, that's really what you're hoping for. I mean, there are a lot of teams that think second-round picks, there's just as much value there than in the first round. So to, to not have him even be active, like, you're not even good enough for us to – to have you as a backup and put in the game in case somebody else gets hurt. That is damning to me. That really is an indictment of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and this draft class. And it's almost I know- like they concentrated on the quarterbacks so heavily that the rest of the draft suffered. Okay, but th- I'm fine with that. If the quarterback you take is good, like mm-hmm. you just said, that doesn't matter. Like you can, right. If you only have one, I think the Chiefs have it right now. I think Patrick Mahomes is the only player from that entire draft class that year that's still on the team, and that's totally fine. But when you don't use the quarterback or you use him for five snaps, again, that is an, a problem. That underscores the, the new, you know, the lack of talent that you're supposed right. to be bringing in, the cheap, good talent. Um, I wasn't planning on getting into the land stuff here, but we can if you want. uh it's always good to go into the lance stuff i mean it is the biggest storyline on this team until the swap is made and even then it'll probably remain the biggest storyline on the team okay let's take a break and when we come back we'll get into the lance stuff and what we expect and hope to see against seattle in week four all right let's get into this trey lance discussion he got on the field in one of the most crucial spots of the entire game Two seconds left in the first half. 49ers are down 17 points. They've had six plays inside the red zone for the Packers. They have not scored. And on a last chance play, here comes Trey Lance from the sideline. What were you thinking when you saw him come into the game at that point? Uh, I said it in our Instant Reacts podcast. Uh, The moment I saw Trey Lance coming in, I thought, what the hell took so long? The moment, <laughs> the moment Sanu got the pass interference and the Niners got down to the line, I started thinking, I wonder if this is where Trey Lance goes in because it's so incredibly hard to stop a mobile quarterback from the one, especially a bigger one who can literally push a DB into the end zone. Um, and then they didn't do it, and they didn't do it. And I thought, huh, that's kind of odd, but they just must not have a be ready for this because he played scout team all week or something. 
And then all of a sudden he comes in when it's last ditch effort. It's like, okay, if that's your last ditch effort, that should have been your first effort. Like what took so long? It looked easy for him too on that play. And part of the it reason is, all he, you have to do is run. Well, and Trent Williams, <laughs> poor Eric Stokes for the Packers, like rookie making his first start, did absolutely nothing wrong. And here comes the human wall, Trent Williams, who just mops him in the end zone and Trey Lance runs right in. And for whatever reason, Kyle has not used Trey Lance that much this season. But I, I don't think anyone can argue, like when he's been in there, he has largely been effective and done the job that he's been asked to do. So week four now in Seattle, do you think that we are going to see Trey Do you think that the red zone is going to become, and I'm cringing when I say this, the Trey area? <laughs> uh, well, I guess I predicted that on draft night. I think I threw it out on that draft podcast that we had during the draft that I wonder if Trey Lance would be a red zone specialist first so that he gets some touchdowns, gets some confidence before taking over. I don't really like the idea because if he can run it in the red zone, he can run it anywhere. Exactly. But no, I don't think so. I think we, he might be, and by he, I mean Kyle Shanahan, might be quicker to pull the trigger to get Trey Lance in there in the red zone. But I don't think it will be, okay, we're in the red zone, we're going to Trey Lance now. I don't really, it's so hard to predict where Kyle Shanahan is because he's stubborn, he's ego-driven. Um, but to me, my feeling, my best guess, Jimmy will get the start. And if everything goes smoothly, it'll be like what we saw in weeks one, two, and three. Basically, Jimmy is the starter. If things don't go smoothly, I think he might pull the trigger. The reason why I say might is I just don't know. He might be stubborn enough that if Jimmy is god-awful in the first quarter and the team once again barely gets a first down in the first quarter, I'm not 100% convinced that Kyle will say, all right, I'm pulling the trigger because this is bad and we're going to get in too big of a hole here and I can't trust Jimmy to suddenly turn it around once again. You know, I just I don't know for sure Kyle Shanahan will do that. But if he doesn't, like if this team comes out and struggles again and he doesn't pull the trigger, it's time to start calling Kyle what he, what it is. He is coaching like a freaking idiot and coaching like somebody that could get or should get fired if he keeps coaching that way. So what happens is I think what people are worried about, and I think maybe what Kyle's worried about a little bit, if you pull Jimmy Garoppolo now, right, when they're 2-1, and one, he did throw the winning t- the go-ahead touchdown pass with 30 seconds left. You're going to have people looking sideways at you in that locker room, other players. I agree. I don't think that that should govern his decision, but that is what will happen, and, and I don't blame a coach for at least considering that when it makes his decision. But if Jimmy Garoppolo continues to struggle, particularly right out of the gate, that's going to change. Then the guys in the locker room are going to be looking at you like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If I struggled like this as a right guard or a receiver or a defensive lineman, I would be pulled immediately and it would not be a, a big deal. They want the quarterback held to that same example. So then those guys are going to start looking at you like, hey, what the hell's going on here? Why are you treating yeah. this guy differently? And like then a goes, double standard. Yes. And then it goes back to the, all the things that we've talked about again and again. He traded up to get him. He's a first round pick. He's a quarterback, yada, yada, yada. So that protection right now that I think Jimmy Garoppolo is experiencing in the locker room will start to evaporate a little bit if the struggles continue, especially right out of the gate, Levin. That's when you're supposed to have your scripted plays. And, you know, the whole week of game planning is supposed to come off. That should be when it's easiest for you. Yeah. Like, some people want to give Jimmy credit for coming back. They only had to come back because of Jimmy. Like, I hate that. <laughs> oh, quarterback plays really bad, misses, misses passes, uh, has two turnovers. But, hey, he let it come back. 
the only reason why the Niners weren't up already is because of that bad play. So, no, you don't get credit for it. That was so frustrating. And I, uh, this is something that Akash and Kyle Posey talked about yesterday. Every throw in the offense is contested. Every single one. There was only one throw where the guy was wide open, and it was the throw to Mohamed Sanu where Jimmy threw it so poorly that Sanu almost didn't catch it. He had to dive for it. Every other throw, there's a guy right there. We've got a receiver taking a big hit. Ayuk took a couple, Debo, and Jimmy made some good throws to get those guys the ball in those tight spots. But I think that the reason that all those throws are contested is what we talked about at the top of the show, which is the book is out on the offense, specifically the 49ers offense. Defenders know that they only have to play a third of the field right now with with what the 49ers are running. They don't have to defend anything outside the hash marks, and they don't have to defend anything 20 yards down the field or more because the 49ers just do not go there. It would be a waste of defensive resources for teams to devote guys to those areas of the field when the ball is just not going there. So, of course, all the throws are going to be contested. Yeah, uh, it is certainly a Jimmy Garoppolo uh, factored in defense that the Niners are facing. You know, a lot of people have said this, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but it is true. If you watch, rewatch the broadcast of the game from the broadcast angle, you will probably never see a game anytime in modern NFL history with more people from the defense on the screen. There were literally plays all 11 defenders can be seen from the broadcast angle prior to the snap. That means all 11 defenders are within, you know, 10, 12 yards of the line of scrimmage. And guess what? Those safeties weren't, a lot of times they weren't going back, you know, into a deep roll. They were coming forward in case it was a run. And if it wasn't a run, they would stop and then just sit at a 10, 15 yard spot with the linebackers in front of them. And they're basically just taking away the middle of the field from 15 yards and closer the line of scrimmage and that's all jimmy can do and everybody knows it and to me i said this on the instant reacts pod that if that continues to be the play calls it at some point is on kyle shanahan because you know the limitations of jimmy garoppolo everybody knows them now the defense knows it the league knows it kyle knows it and he keeps calling plays to placate to that limitation well you can't do that when the defense is saying we're taking that away you have to take what the defense gives you. And if the defense is giving you the outside and the deep, you have to call it. And if Jimmy Garoppolo falls flat, then he falls flat and you replace him. You can't just keep playing into the defense's hands, which is what Kyle Shanahan has done the last two weeks. He has called plays that play right into what the defense wants, and that is bad coaching. Okay, so let's spin it forward now against Seattle. You know, this is another defense where going in, you look at it and you say, they're struggling. This is they not are a, a good bottom defense. five defense. They're a bottom five defense. Okay, really. so then if you're Kyle Shanahan, let's just regardless of quarterback, but let's say it's Jimmy Garoppolo. What are you doing against Seattle? Do you come out right out of the gate and do kind of what Minnesota did last week, which was try to spread them out, try to get five defensive backs on the field, and let your quarterback kind of pick them apart a little bit? Is that what you do if you're Kyle Shanahan and take some deep shots and try and you know at least get it in their mind, like hey? This isn't going to be like every other time you've played us. The first play for the Niners, if the defense is cheating up, you see those safeties coming down, Harrison Smith not playing deep. To me, it's a play action go route. Maybe even have one of them do a double move, which, by the way, is what I was disappointed about. I didn't see a single double move. If you have safeties cheating up like that and corners playing uh, aggressively for the underneath, run a damn double move. 
adjust your game plan. So to me, if if the uh, or sorry, I said Harrison Smith, he plays for Minnesota. But, you know, if Seattle is cheating up with their safeties on the first play, I think you need to call play action and throw it deep. Even if it doesn't work, those safeties are going to second guess cheating up so hard. It's going to back them off. You can't just come out and, like I said, placate to the defense. If the defense is cheating up, call the play action and make them say, okay, maybe they will try to go over the top if we cheat up so hard like the Packers did. I agree with you. And I think the 49ers tried to take a shot with Kittle. Uh, and I, I, to his credit, I think Jimmy actually threw a pretty accurate deep ball when it was intercepted. It looked like it was going to be right in range for Kittle to catch it. The problem was, one, he it did take a little while to get to Kittle, but two, Jair Alexander comes from the backside of the play completely across the field because he had no other responsibility. And what do, what do defensive coordinators always say? They say, go find work. Well, Jair Alexander found some work. In this case, it was hauling ass across the field and making a big interception. But that was something that Kyle Posey said yesterday that happened a lot in the game, where there was a lot of times where a defender wouldn't have any other job for the Packers, so he would go over to where the ball was and make a play on the ball. And that was another reason why it was so hard hard for the 49ers to get anything going it's because everybody all receiving options were funneling to the middle of the field so anybody who had a zone coverage on the outside they could come in they could cheat they could go wherever the ball was going because they had no responsibilities anymore and I think that that specific Kittle throw and I apologize to whoever posted the video of it they posted the all 22 angle before Mm -hmm. it was available to the U.S. Uh, Uh aha um but I cannot remember who, who posted it, and I tried to find it so that I could give credit, but I apologize. I can't. But it's something that Kyle probably should adjust. Well, not probably. He should adjust it and probably will in the future. On that play, the reason why Jair got freed up was because Ayuk came into the middle of the field, and once he crossed the hash, Jair was freed was up, it. and he started to backpedal, which put him within range of being able to get to the ball. Whereas if Ayuk runs an out route, Jair has to stay with them. Jair has to step up rather than back, and he has no chance of getting to that ball. Now, the reason Shanahan had Ayuk come to the middle was because Jimmy wants to throw to the middle. He's not going to throw that out route no matter what. But once again, you can't placate to the limitations. You can't placate to the defense and what they want. So I would hope Kyle will adjust that in the future and force that corner to stay on the receiver on the outside rather than allowing him to essentially turn into a free safety. I agree with you that even if you know that there's, it's not likely that Ayuk is going to get a, a ball thrown on the sideline, like Jair still has to respect it. That's the yeah. rules of the defense, and that's what or Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, it doesn't right. have to be a full out route. Jimmy will throw comebacks. Have a comeback that forces the the uh, cornerback to step up. No, the the throw to Ayuk in the end zone was essentially a comeback route, which was a great throw by Jimmy right in the end zone on Jair Alexander, as a matter of fact. It was just a nice play all around. So we've seen that it can work. The other thing I want to see against the Seahawks is I want to see a diverse running attack. And I'm not just talking about, like, with the sweeps to receivers. or I want to see outside runs and inside runs, and counters, and all sorts of stuff like that. Like, I know Kyle Shanahan can design an inside run game that's successful. Of course he can. The guy is one of the most creative ground game people, coaches in the entire sport. So if teams are going to start to line up like Green Bay did and sort of try and take away some of the outside runs, what does that mean? That means there's going to be opportunities to run inside. Alex Mack, Lakin Tomlinson, 
heaven forbid, Aaron Banks or Brunskill, whoever you want up there, have those guys kick a little ass because I think they can do it, and I think that there's going to be opportunities to do it. Like I said, there, there seems to be miscommunications with the outside run, which requires the offensive lineman to pull and then locate who to block. Well, if you're doing more of a downhill run game, they can just push forward and knock anybody who's in their way out of the way. You know what I mean? It's a little more straightforward for the offensive line, a little less complicated. So if you're having miscommunications, maybe go to that even more. But the Niners have no excuse in this game. If the offense struggles, there are zero excuses because the Vikings just had their backup running back run for like 100, I think it was 112 yards on 26 carries. Like this Packers defense is terrible. They're bad in pass. Seahawks defense. God, I keep saying Vikings. Seahawks defense is really bad against the pass and really bad against the run. They are not good at anything. (laughs) They are very aged. And Pete Carroll, quite honestly, if Pete Carroll didn't have one of the best quarterbacks in the league propping him up, he probably would have been let go a long time ago because he he is responsible for the defense. And the Seattle defense has been pretty bad for five years and getting worse and worse every single year to the point this year. It is flat out one of the worst defenses in the league. Yeah, I feel like as the pieces of that Legion of Boom defense have gone away, they haven't been able to restock, and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse as those guys have left and gotten older. Speaking of Russell Wilson, a lot of people are worried because they saw what Aaron Rodgers did, and and they know who our cornerbacks are, and they're saying they're worried that it's going to be more of the same. This is something that I wanted to bring up to you because I know you and I disagreed on Sunday, and I'm patting myself on the back because I believe I was proven correct. Aaron Rodgers did an amazing job of not only getting rid of the ball quickly, which I think his average time to throw was 2.3 seconds, which is unbelievable, but he got rid of it quickly, Levin, and yet he was still taking shots down the field. He was still throwing it 20, 25 yards in the air down the field because he was able to throw with so much anticipation and he was able to identify where to go with the ball right away that he was able to do that. So, you know, normally if you're going to try and neutralize a pass rush and throw the ball quickly, you're throwing short passes or at most intermediate passes because that's all you have time to do. Well, Aaron Rodgers is such a freaking mutant, and he's so damn good that he's able to take deep shots down the field accurately in 2.3 seconds, and that's where the 49ers were really hurt. I don't think the pass rushers were ineffective. I think they were winning. I just think that there was no possible way for them to get to Aaron Rodgers in sometimes 1.8 seconds. But that is still a defensive issue because the only way the quarterback can be 100% confident he knows where the ball is going prior to the snap, which is the only possible uh, explanation for being able to throw a pass two seconds after the snap, it's that you don't have to read the defense, you know where you're going with the ball, is because the defense is highly predictable. And that was one of the criticisms that you saw of the defense for the 49ers was that there wasn't much disguise. There wasn't much, you know, basically faking a blitz and pulling back. There just wasn't much uh, complicated anything with that defense. And that allows a quarterback who's really smart and, you know, he's, you know, him and Tom Brady can know exactly what the defense is doing if you don't disguise anything pre-snap. And you can't allow that to happen. The defense needs to be more complicated so that the quarterbacks have to actually read the defense after the snap. What gives me a little hope this week is that Rodgers is really good at throwing deep quickly. 
Russell Wilson's really good at throwing deep too, but Russell Wilson does not hurt defenses with quick plays on rhythm. Russell hurts them the complete opposite way. Yeah. Off schedule plays that take a long time to develop. That hopefully means that the 49ers pass rushers are going to have opportunities to put pressure on him. Now I know that he and Kyler Murray, who they play in week five, are both very good at scrambling and, and evading the pass rushers and all of that. But if if the Seahawks defense is going to have success against San Francisco, it's not going to be in the same way that Green Bay did. So even though our corners are, you know, pretty depleted and banged up and, you know, not that good, quite frankly, I don't know that it's going to be as glaring. I think they're going to look better than they are because I think the pass rush is going to be able to have more of an effect on the quarterback. You know, there were some interesting things that the Niners did defensively that I think they'll probably repeat some in this game. For Adams, they had players like Tart coming up and basically playing man on Adams with a cornerback's help pre-snap. There was one play that I just saw pulled um, before we came on where Tart was in man with one of the cornerbacks, and it was actually the rookie, uh, Hufanga. I can't, I can't talk I cannot talk today. <laughs> Um, Hufanga was actually the single safety playing really deep. Yes. Well, that that's one changing who the safety is, and two having one of your safeties basically become a corner who's bigger, better physically to match up with a fast, physical, big receiver like Devonte Adams. And who does the Seahawks have? They have DK Metcalf. So I'm curious to see if they run that once again, where they have the safeties come up to try to be a little more physical with somebody like DK Metcalf. Um, the risk of that to me is Tyler Lockett kicking your ass out of the slot where Quan Williams is not going to be playing. He, uh, Tyler Lockett did get banged up last week. We, he, he had what everybody thought was a super serious knee yeah. injury. Everybody was out on the field. Not only did he walk off under his own power, he returned to the game, which is unbelievable, yeah. but he may not be at 100%, so we'll have to wait and see there. The other thing I want to see from the 49ers defense is they have to be better at stopping the run. What I saw with the Packers consistently is that when they ran the ball, they were getting three to five yards every single time. And even if it's only three yards, if you get it every single time, the offense remains on schedule. And so much of what you're able to do as a defense is predicated on getting the offense behind the sticks and getting them in third and long situations to where the pass rush will be able to have more of a chance to stop the play. The 49ers did not do that. They really haven't been great against the run this whole year. Um, and I hope that's something that improves because it's, it's making it so much harder and putting so much more stress on the pass rush to have to be great and on the secondary to have to be great when teams are you know in third and short and manageable situations. Well, there's a couple things with that. The reason why the run game works, just in general, one is scheme. When you play wide nine, you're going to give up some run plays. But what did the Packers do coming out of the gates? They came out and they challenged the Niners' defense deep. They had those pass interference plays on, on the first drive. They came out and challenged the defense, which made them pull back. And when the linebackers aren't able to be so up close and stack the box, the wide nine is not going to be able to stop the run. That is the sacrifice you make for the better pass rush. And the Packers came out, and I think they clearly had a game plan of we're going to go deep early to force the, the Niners to pull back the defense to defend against a deep pass a little bit more so that then we can get some running, running lanes. It was so frustrating because I feel like it sets the tone for the whole series of downs, right? First down, three, four, five yards. It's like, oh, great. 
because now we're going to have to need another play to get us back on schedule, an incompletion or a penalty or a run stuff up the middle, something like that to make it to make it tougher. And I thought Green Bay did a good job of using their run game to set up the pass game, and they did it effectively, and they basically did it effectively all game long. So when you look at this Seattle game, Levin, what is your prediction? Uh, I would. It's a tough one because it's hard to predict what either one of these teams really are right now. You don't know the identity of either one of these teams. The Packers defense has looked horrendous, uh, but they still have Russell Wilson. And the Niners are a bit of a jackal and hide on both sides of the ball. There's been some defensive miscues, and there's been a lot of offensive miscues. The offense comes out and struggles. I don't see them beating a Russell Wilson. But I do think, and this is where I still have confidence in Kyle Shanahan, that they will fix some of these things. And like I said, I think they're at the point where they have to stop playing to Jimmy Garoppolo's limitations and they just have to call what is best for the team. And if Jimmy Garoppolo can't execute, you replace him. And I think that's what the Niners will do. And I think that they're going to have a better offensive game. And we saw uh, last week that if the Niners just had anything in the first quarter, they win that game. You know, if Jimmy doesn't have that fumble, they probably win that game. Uh, So I'm going to pick the Niners here. I honestly have no score prediction because I have no idea what to expect because this could be (laughs) low scoring. This could be high scoring. You just don't know. Both offenses should be really good and have the advantage over the defense, but you haven't really seen it yet this year, so it's hard to predict that. This could be a really fun game where we see a bunch of passes deep down the field and maybe some really aggressive offense. I I hate to say it, but if you look back on the history of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson against the 49ers, they usually kick our ass. Like That is a fact. It is not in dispute. I think that worst comes to worst, Russ, I have more confidence in Russell to make a play than anybody else. He's never lost three games in a row in his career. Jimmy Garoppolo has never lost two games in a row in his career. So some one of those streaks is going to end unless Shanahan stuns the world and starts Trey Lance. would be the only way that would be different. But even if the 49ers are better offensively, which, God, they should be, we've seen now, even up against seemingly bad defenses, this offense can struggle. And as long as that is potentially on the board, I have to side with the Seahawks in this one. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any stretch. I could easily see it being something like 24-20. But until I see a complete game put together by this offense, I got to go with Seattle. How the tables have turned. I know. It's sad. (laughs) It's sad and it's frustrating. But I'm trying to be realistic, you know, like we like we said at the top of the show. We, we want to give you at least authenticity and honesty on this show. And so that's where it is. I hope I'm wrong. I God, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, the Seattle game is one of the two games I, I want us to win more than anything. Even in a lost season, I still want to beat the Seahawks. But we'll see. Uh, like we, We'll be back on Sunday after the game on the Niners Nation YouTube page. We will be talking about it all. We urge you to join us. If you haven't done so already, rate, review, subscribe to the YouTube page, subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We have plenty of great stuff for you. You don't want to miss any of it. Leave us a rating and a review if you like what you hear. Levin, enjoy your week. I like your new 49er hat. I'm not going to point out that you happened to get a new 49er hat the same year that I happened to get mine. I'm sure that was purely coincidence, but it looks good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's because my Niner hats are so old that they've stretched to the point that they don't fit anymore the the sides of the ears are sitting out because i like to get the stretch ones um and yeah they, they got to the point where they're pissing me off when i wear them so i got a new one copying my look i don't blame you because i look damn it's not good. even close to the same hat enjoy mr. your week everybody mr. i gotta be hip and get a residency hat hey you know only top of the line uh, enjoy your week everybody we'll talk to you after the game <laughs>